This is Think Like a Genius. Tread the line of cognitive psychology, neuroscience, persuasion, and so much more than gray matter. Let's dive in as we fall into a world of intrigue. And now, Think Like a Genius with your host, Lance Vantanar. Welcome to the Thinking Like a Genius podcast. Today's interview is with Ryan Lockie, who's a teacher and also has had some previous experience in it was a baseball. Yeah, I was playing uh, some college and some semi-pro baseball. Yeah, I was a baseball Excellent. guy. Mm-hmm. You're a big baseball fan, and you also studied in communication and then became a teacher. Now, the core of our interview is probably going to be focusing on your book, which has just been published and which I've read through, and I really enjoyed it. Wonderful. So I wanted to find out a bit more about the reason behind the book, and also we'll talk about some of the topics within the book and why you decided to write the book and why you decided to take the approach of writing the book and getting the message across to people in your your target audience because your target audience is quite unique because you've written it for students or for school-going children. Yes. Although it's adults can read as well and there's a lot of value in the book, the focus is actually for a, a younger audience. So let's start off, Ryan, with a bit of background on yourself and how you came about the idea for the book and, and the, the approach that you used. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to thank you for having me on. Uh, I know we're across the pond from each other <laughs> and everyone that's listening. Hello out there. I hope that you and your family are safe and healthy. I am coming to you from San Francisco, California. To get into the book, the name of the book is Wisdom Beyond the Classroom. I, for a number of years, have been a sixth grade teacher. I have a lot of students that come into my classroom throughout the day, a few fifth grade classes and sixth grade classes. It's over 100 students in a day. And the subjects that we're going through in the curriculum is so jam-packed throughout the day that there is little to no time for personal development. And to me, this is an extremely important topic and a topic that I think that we should be spending much more time on in our schools, especially when you take a look at the curriculum. You think, okay, some of these subjects, yes, have relevancy, they're important, but some of them, how much are we going to use in the real world, right? And so for me, developing the whole student is extremely important. So in my own class, we would take the time in the morning to meditate. And we wouldn't necessarily do this every day, but most days we would do this. We would be mindful and talk about mindfulness as far as taking a break or connecting to your breath, which is so important. And so the thought of the book came to me a couple years ago, and I have my own meditation practice, and it kind of came out of that. But really, it started in the classroom when I'd have all these students coming in and I thought, man, you know, one student's happy, one student's sad, one student's stressed out. There's a lot going on in our school systems. We just don't have any guidance for developing the whole student. Call it an umbrella term of personal development, which there's a lot that goes into that as far as having a growth mindset, mindfulness, our connection with failure our relationship with failure. And so I thought, 
what is something that I could do at a bigger level, not just for the students that come into my class, but just in general and give it out to the world. And so that's really where the idea of the book came from is me being able to just do my part in helping out our youth, our adolescents. It's really is designed for middle school and high school students. And as well, from a, a parent standpoint or a teacher standpoint, it's a really good communication and resource tool for their child or for their student. It really did start when a few years back I was teaching and wanted to just do something to help students out with personal development. Have you found the students take up with the meditation and the mindfulness? Have they adopted it quite easily? Have they found it been beneficial to them? Yeah, that's a really good question. I found that the students really enjoy it that they get a lot of value out of it. First, when they started, when we did it, and meditation doesn't need to be this huge production, like it has to be, you know, you sitting for a half hour or anything like that. It was small. It was probably like 30 seconds to a minute where we just focused on our breathing and that was it. And because you do kind of need to start small with meditation anyways, because whatever you, you want to focus on, whether that's a mantra or a saying or your breathing, or you know your body, it's easy for the mind to wonder. In that, you really have to be real easy with yourself. Like, oh, it's okay that your mind wonders. It's natural. Just come back to your breathing without being judgmental of yourself or being harsh on yourself. So it started out real simple, 30 seconds, a minute, and, and it escalated. And then we would start to do some guided meditations as well. But I found that the students really enjoy it. And it does have a sense of calming and centering for the day to start off the school day with, with a good mindset. Because, you know, I don't know necessarily what was going on with each of these individual students before they got to school. Maybe it's a stressful time in the household. Maybe not. I don't know. But this is certainly, I feel that starting your day off, giving yourself some self-care, some self-love and meditating is a fantastic way to start the day. And the students have really, really taken to it as well. Have you found that their, you could say, ability to learn is a lot easier and they're a lot more relaxed and a lot more focused by doing that? Yeah, I think that when you incorporate the meditation, there are many, many kinds of meditation. So when you incorporate uh, a mindfulness meditation or, or just being mindful of your emotions without having to become, become your emotions, you know, be attached mm -hmm. to your emotions, or also in learning about the mindfulness and, and really connecting to your breathing and how important that is, especially when something comes up during the day that makes you want to react instead of respond uh, without thinking. Um, that if you can take a step back, you know, realize that you need to connect with your breathing and taking a couple of deep breaths, perhaps even saying something to yourself like, I breathe in peace as you breathe in, or I breathe in a sense of calm and I breathe out stress or I breathe out tension. The ability to to be able to do that and learn that method does have a great impact. Absolutely. So I think it's just like anything, the more you practice it, the better that you become. 
So the more that we would do that and we would talk about the mindfulness and taking a step back and taking a breath, it has certainly made a difference. I find that really interesting because there's a lot of research which supports the ability of the bodies to be able to change their brain processing just through breathing. And there's a lot of research that supports it because of the connection through the vagus nerve and the fact that you can actually alter your physiological processing by changing your breathing Mm -hmm. and it changes the stress conditions and then does the other aspects of actually flushing out cortisol because you're changing the, you could say, physiological state, which is a really interesting approach. I was having a discussion with somebody else recently where breathing has got a very, very big impact on health Mm. and overall health because it obviously regulates the stress a lot better. It's an easy way of actually regulating the stress. It's a really good way of actually helping you to become a lot more, you could say, calm and focused and a lot more in control of what you're feeling and what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. So it's really fantastic that you've taken that approach and actually teaching it to your uh, students. I think it's admirable what, what you've done. Now, get back to the book, which I enjoyed reading. There's a lot of things which I found really interesting. I like the approach that you took with the book and the way that you've written it, because it's an easy read, but there's a lot of stories and elements in it which helps to get a message across or in a story form, which is always a good way of getting the message across. How did you come up with the characters and stories and the concepts that you put in the book? I appreciate your thoughts on the breathing. I completely agree with you. It's so important to connect to the breath and and what it does for our bodies as well as our minds. The characters that I came up with and the approach, I feel that throughout our lifetime, we, we learn and we also give information. So we're all students and we're all teachers throughout our life. And so I thought that it would be kind of a cool way to bring these simple stories and lessons to life if there could be dialogue coming from this wise teacher in the book named Mr. Ocean. And then there could also be dialogue that's coming from the students because we are each teachers and students throughout our lifetime. And it would just be a lot more interesting for the reader and you could see it from both perspectives. So it plays well to be able to do that, especially because they flip-flop every chapter. You know, one chapter is in the classroom with the teacher and mm-hmm. and his interaction with the students. And then the next chapter will be some of his former students that are actually taking some of the information they learned in an auditorium setting at uh, one of their rival high schools and going through this skit, giving the information it plays well that way. And, and like you said, it's a pretty easy read. It's not like in your face, here's the information you should know. It's more like, here's some fun, simple stories and lessons that are coming to you from a, a few different perspectives. And so it makes it as an easy read, like you said. You also finish each chapter with uh, almost like an action step at the end. What was the reason for doing that? At the end of every chapter, I do have two questions, and the questions are really to have you come up with the main points, the meat and potatoes of the story, because I don't know about yourself, but for me, 
if I read a chapter, sometimes I need to read a book again. I need to read something again for it to really like get into my head. I thought, you know, it's a good idea is if I have a couple questions at the end of the chapter, and these are questions you can actually write in the book, you can write your answer. It's just going to be able to, to be retained a lot better to pull out the main parts of the story. So as an example, in chapter one, typically the first question would always be like, what are your thoughts and most important takeaways from the chapter? And then the second question would get a little bit more detailed. That first chapter titled What's in it for me, it's talking about asking yourself empowering questions when something comes up that you don't like. And so uh, if something comes up that you don't like, rather than being upset or angry about it, perhaps you take a step back and ask yourself empowering questions like, what's in it for me? What can I learn from this? And how can I do this to the best of my ability? Being completely focused. And then what attitude will serve me best? So for the that second question at the end of the chapter, I had said, Think of a time when you've been asked to do something you didn't understand or agree with or thought was a waste of time. What kind of thoughts did you immediately think and how would the outcome of the situation have been different if you had paused, taken a deep breath, and asked yourself the three questions instead? So for me, I almost need something like that at the end of something I read to refresh and be like, oh yeah, this was the main This was the main points that I want to remember from this, or this is easy for me to come back to what I've written down about this chapter. So just felt that that would be beneficial to the reader. I actually like the way that you presented the questions because it ties into a principle which I've done some research about and which I've written about, which is called second level thinking, because what you're doing is that your initial processing is always going to be on your first perception of what a situation is. You don't have all the information because one, you've either not experienced a situation long enough or you don't understand the nuances of the situation. Mm-hmm. By asking a question like that, you're asking yourself to start looking at it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. You start considering other levels of, you could say, consequence or impact or potential situations. And that allows you to, instead of reacting on it on an emotional level, you start thinking about probabilities and gives you enough of a context change and a perception change to reconsider what the situation could be. Right. And that gives sometimes gives you enough insight to say, okay, if it isn't this, then what could it be? Mm-hmm. Are there other things that could be affecting it? Could it be somebody might have had an accident or they got ill or they couldn't make it or they didn't get there on time because of some other reason? Right. Not the fact that, you know, they're not being respectful, don't want to be there because of whatever reason you perceive it is. There could be something else that's affected the situation, hypothetical story. But it's just a way of actually using the principles that you've spoken about to allow you to think about it in a slightly less emotional way, which I thought was really insightful the way that you've structured that. And I thought it was a really good way of actually structuring what your approach to it. You mentioned failure previously, and also we spoke a bit about it because obviously your sports background and doing the semi-pro participation. What is your approach and your view on failure and how have you brought that lesson across in the book? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Gosh, it's kind of a life lesson for us, isn't it? Failure and what we can learn from it. I mean, with my own experience in playing baseball, I mean, it's a sport, whether you follow it or not, if you're successful three out of 10 times, meaning you have a 300 batting average, and you can do that at the pro level throughout your career, you'll be a, a Hall of Fame baseball player. You'll be one of the best. If you are successful three out of 10 times in any other sport, you're horrible at it, right? If you're only doing something 30%. So baseball is very mental. Like you go to bat, maybe you have a a bat at bat, you you strike out or pop up or whatever. You literally, you could reflect and take the positive of what you didn't do correct, but then you have to let it go. You can't let it eat at you because then if you let it eat at you, and you're upset about it, the next time you go to bat or you go into the field, it's not going to help you. So yes, from a sports perspective, it's certainly insightful to have a good relationship with your failures. And the way I relate it in the book is, and in general in life, our failures are to be learned from, right? If you're wanting to succeed at something and you're failing, well, there's something to learn in that. And so you're getting closer to your goal when you're failing at it. One quote I like that I have in the book, and I have uh, quite a few different quotes from many famous people, is one from, from Thomas Edison when he's creating the light bulb, and it says, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. I mean, what a great way to look at that. Somebody else in creating the light bulb, I'd say, gosh, of people, if they kept failing and failing, they'd get frustrated. They'd probably be done with it. His standpoint was, you know, I'm getting closer. I'm learning from my failures. And so I think it's really important that we have a good relationship with our failures rather than just thinking of ourselves as, gosh, I'm a failure. You know, I'm terrible at this. Step back and ask yourself empowering questions again, like, okay, I didn't get this right, but I figured this out. This doesn't work, but this does. I'm going to try this. Hey, you're getting closer. That growth mindset of becoming what you think about is so important and having empowering thoughts and empowering words. And one of the ways that having a relationship with your failures or having a positive relationship with your failures is the spin in the book is that with the teacher and the students is typically if a student comes home and they talk to mom and dad and mom and dad might say, hey, you know, honey, what did you learn in school today? What did you learn in school today? And the kid's general response is probably like, oh, you know, oh, it was okay. Or, you know, we learned this. They're probably not that engaged in it or not that thrilled at the question over and over. But instead, in the book, we kind of reverse that And the next time a parent would say, you know, what did you learn in school? It would actually say, well, you know what? I, I tried to do this. I did this math problem six times. I failed at it six times in a row and then I got it. So then the psychology of that was that you would get your parents to actually say like, what did you fail at today? Because when you fail, that's when you grow and that's when you learn. So it's not like, what did you learn? It's, what did you fail at? And it's like, hey, I failed at this math problem six times in a row, but then I learned along the way and then I got it correct. So then the students are actually getting their parents to then say to them like, hey, honey, you know, how's your day? What did you fail at? Having a positive relationship 
with your failures it will just take you so far. And, and because we're going to fail at things throughout our life. So having, having a different mentality and approach and relationship with it can be life-changing. Sometimes I think the question could be asked better mm. is, say, how did you learn to solve that math problem? How did you learn what you learned today? Right. Mm-hmm. And how did it, you learn through allows, your failures? Yeah. A bit more of an open question. It allows for more of a dialogue. Getting back to the point about failure, I think there's a very emotional black and white incorrect mindset and approach to failure. Mm-hmm. And it's portrayed a lot in a lot of media and also in general, people's approach to it is if you're a failure, you're doing something wrong. Well, mm. not really. If you're failing, you're learning. And right. that's all that learning is. Learning is nothing more than failure. Right. It's just the point where you get something right and the point where you do get something wrong, initially it's going to be quite different. There's going to be a big variance between the two when you're first starting out. But your learning curve is going to be incredibly steep when you start learning that. Right. But then as you start learning more and more, those differences shrink down into a point where it becomes a lot more consistent in, in your output. Absolutely. And then it starts becoming consistently better. And it means that you have to work a lot more to get the consistent results, but it means that you've got a repeatable process now for getting to that point. Mm-hmm. And it's a cumulative way of actually increasing your knowledge and your skill and your mental skill set and capability. Mm-hmm. But it's also a way of building your confidence. And I think that's the key thing that people also have to learn or realize is that failing is it's part of life. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it doesn't feel that bad. But if you look at it as an opportunity of what can I learn from this, it takes the sting out of it and it allows you to look at it from a different context and a perspective. And as you say, it's a growth mindset because you're actually looking at it from a learning perspective mm-hmm. and, a, and the insight. And also it allows you to then build confidence because you realize that you've done something right. And as Thomas says, and Edison said, he's, you know, he's had all those failures, but it's not really failure. All he's done is he's eliminated something else, which allows him to know what not to do next. Charlie Munger is Warren Buffett's partner. He says, tell me what I'm going to do wrong so I I don't do it again. His approach is, what mistakes can I not do? His, one of his, you could say, mindset or his mental models is to make as little mistakes as possible. Right. And then just focus on those strong points. But the fact is that he focuses on really working at it. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It just means it's a process that he goes through. I really think it's a, it's a good way that you've presented it and how you've structured it. The other thing I wanted to speak to you about is about the conscious and the subconscious mind because it is really quite challenging to understand one how the brain processes the information differently and it's a bit of a learning curve because although you've got your prefrontal cortex which does a lot of the manual thinking a lot of the you could say the heavy lifting mm-hmm. and the initial learning mm-hmm. your subconscious is designed to allow you to automate things and to speed things up and it does a lot of you could say under the waterline kind of processing mm-hmm. so what is your view and your insight when it comes to the conscious and subconscious mind and how it processes information a quick note of of what we said with uh, relationship with failure is expanding your comfort zone 
is also part of that failure, right? When you do something yeah. new, I mean, you're going to fail at it. But expanding our comfort zone is is huge. It's important. It's something that we should be doing. As far as the subconscious and the conscious mind, you know, we do talk about that and dive into it in the book. It comes down to, in simple form, because you could get pretty complex with this topic, is that our thoughts are so important. One of the chapters in the book, The Greatest Secret, is that you become what you think about. What you constantly think and also what you say, those have a tremendous impact on you on a subconscious level where you don't even know that you're doing it. But if you're always thinking positive thoughts about yourself and saying positive things. It's like ingrained into your beliefs and into into that subconscious, into your confidence and how you do things. And it's the opposite is true as well. You know, if you're always putting yourself down in your head or and as well as in the words you speak, I mean, you're really limiting yourself what you can do. And so we talk a lot about the thoughts and how important your thoughts are, as well as the words you speak, and being able to rid your limiting beliefs, because we can often be our own worst enemy. And in doing that, being conscious of the way you talk to yourself, because we have thousands of thoughts a day, uh, makes a huge impact. And so the way we broke it down in the book was that if you think of the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, if you think of the conscious mind as as the gardener, you know, like what kind of seeds are you planting and in the garden, the garden is like your subconscious mind. So you could be planting seeds that that benefit you, that empower you, or you could be basically growing weeds. And so it really comes down to so much of, of what you think, what you speak. And, and that lines up with your beliefs as well, because, you know, it comes down to when your thoughts and your feelings and your actions are aligned, uh, this is really what you're creating in your reality. So uh, you want to make sure that your thoughts and your feelings and your actions are, are aligned with what benefits you, what empowers you, um, because that goes down deep on a subconscious level, um, far greater than uh, we could even often imagine. And so really being mindful of your thoughts is important. But then along with that, that's where meditation comes in so much as well, because meditation is so much about slowing down having that self-care and just really focusing on, let's say, the of your breathing and realizing that, yes, you have a lot of thoughts that come in and out, but you don't have to cling to those thoughts, right? You don't have to become your thoughts. You can more or less be an observer. You know, you could uh, call it being next to a river and you observe that the river is your thoughts, that you have many, many thoughts. You don't have to jump in and, and go with the with the current. You can more or less be next to that river, see that you have thoughts. And, and if you've come away from your breathing uh, and you have floated down that river and you're thinking, you can just gently come back to your breathing and notice that, hey, you know, I have a lot of thoughts. I don't need to be caught up in them just like emotions. I can really choose to believe the thoughts that are empowering to me 
And at a subconscious level, it's extremely important. So without taking a really, really deep dive into the conscious and subconscious mind, because the book isn't intended just to be about that, I think that gives a a good approach to whoever the reader is to be able to to understand how important the, the subconscious mind is. It can be quite tricky to be able to catch those thoughts and to monitor them and Mm -hmm. also change that narrative because that's i think the big challenge especially if you not in an environment or you're not in a mindset where you are feeling that positive frame of mind or that in a situation which gives you you would say positive support for either your learning your studying your development or anything of that out that nature it's a because it comes down to personal belief of yourself, whether you believe that self-talk. And I mm-hmm. think that's a challenge for people to externally try and inject that because they've not got to that situation where they've got that self-belief where it's, you could say, taken hold or it's taken mm-hmm. root, if you use the analogy of the seed, because it's it's got to be something that, one, the person accepts, and two, that they're willing to nurture in a way to actually develop it into something more. Mm-hmm. So do you actually use an example where you say to somebody, take something that they feel positive about and use that as a starting point to develop it further? Have you used that at all in the book? Yeah, I think that um, to develop that further, I think that you're making a really good point. I think that... Um, to have a belief in yourself or to take something to the next level when you're maybe thinking, oh, I mean, I kind of believe it or I kind of feel it about myself, but I could have better confidence or belief is, you know, I think that gratitude in general is so important, not only with how our day is, you know, how much joy we have in our day or just our attitude of our day or of life. But I think that gratitude and I guess with an attitude, right? If you have a positive attitude or something, you're usually getting back what you put out. So I think that in order to get a little bit more, you first have to appreciate what you have. Meaning if you have gratitude for the simple things that you have now, in order to get something else, you first have to have gratitude for what you have. So if you want to be, as an example, if you, and we do talk about becoming a good speaker in the book and speaking in front of people, which is a fear that a lot of people have. If you want to be this international speaker, but you're starting at point A and it's not that good, first have to be grateful that you have a voice, right? And that you can use your voice and that you can look at people that are speakers and gather some tips from them. So no matter what, where you're at in life and not comparing yourself to others, I think gratitude is a big key with where you're at and then where you want to go, understanding that with the gratitude with what you currently have, you will be able to move forward. Does that make sense? I like the way that you've highlighted that because it's a, it's a good way of showing that, yes, starting by being grateful allows you to then feel good about yourself for something which you identify with. Mm-hmm. Because being grateful for something that you already know and that you already recognize, 
because in essence, you can't lie to the brain, you can't lie to yourself, because the brain will just reject anything which it doesn't feel is true, which mm -hmm. it doesn't resonate with. Exactly. And by being grateful for something that you already have or experience or that you can do, then allows you to say, okay, I can build this up as a strength. Mm -hmm. By focusing on this as a strength, I can build on the things that I already have and take it a step further. And that's a process of a coming back to what you've said before, growth mindset, a learning mindset, and developing it as a skill and developing it as a capability. Because each time taking the speaking, for example, you'll say, okay, fine, I'll stand up in a classroom and I'll speak in front of my classmates. I'll stand up in front of a group of people and talk about a topic that I like. I'll stand up in front of a bigger group. And then slowly you're developing your skill as a speaker in, in larger and larger audiences but you're not jumping in into the deep end and speaking to a thousand people. You're speaking right. with people that you first know and understand mm -hmm. and that you feel a bit more comfortable with. But each step that you take, you're pushing yourself further and further. Mm -hmm. It's the same as when it comes to sport or any skill development. It's a gradual process of skill enhancement and learning mm -hmm. and development to allow you to take it a step further. So, yeah, I think it's a fantastic approach to actually show people that they're a lot more capable and there's a lot more, you could say, scope for them to do something without right. having to beat themselves up and without putting themselves down and using that positive aspect of their own self to, to get to the next stage. Yeah, absolutely. And then just one other point with that, with the gratitude. I mean, when you're coming from a place of gratitude, you can't be in a place of being stressed or fearful, right? If you're grateful, if you're in a state of gratitude, then that's what you're inviting more of. And so you're not inviting and you're not thinking about stress. You're not thinking about coming from a fearful place. You're in a state of gratitude. That's a very powerful and empowering place to be. As you mentioned in, in the book, when we were talking earlier on that you use a lot of quotes in, in the book, what was the reason behind the quotes? What was the thoughts behind it? Mm. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of power and a lot of wisdom in quotes take a quote and it could be a conversation could invoke from a quote for hours, right? Or for days or people use quotes and you get so much out of quotes. So for me to, to be able to incorporate quotes from some of the wisest people that have walked the planet, whether they're uh, alive or dead, I think there's insight into that. And so whether it's about energy and something that might come from Albert Einstein, or it's a quote that could come from progress, if it comes from like Martin Luther King Jr. Um, there's many, many quotes in here. And I just, I personally love quotes. I think there's a lot to get out of them. And if it was just, you know, me telling a story and, and giving quotes for myself, I mean, it would be fine. But I think that it just adds so much more value and wisdom. The name of the book is Wisdom Beyond the Classroom. It, it adds a lot more wisdom when it's from people that have come before me in a lot of senses are much wiser than I am. Those are all at the back of the book as well. I think that the reader will, will get a lot of value out of that. I love some of the quotes, but you can get some really insightful and fantastic ones. There's something in one of the chapters I read which I thought was really quite intriguing. You mentioned the difference between pain and suffering. Mm. 
Right. Can you expand on that a bit more? Because yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting approach. Yeah, that's that is an interesting topic because pain as a human being is inevitable. I mean, we have painful experiences, whether it's physical or, you know, maybe a loved one dies. I mean, that's painful. But what we tend to do as humans is we tend to relive an experience over and over and over. And that's suffering. And it's like, why would we want to do that? I don't know why. I think it's like programmed in our minds of, I don't know if it was back when um, it was like a fight or flight. I'm not sure why. What we tend to do is we relive an experience that we did not like. And that's suffering. So we have the ability, we often will go down the rabbit hole in our thoughts, which are negative and are not empowering and don't serve us. And I think that things like mindfulness and meditation and asking ourselves empowering questions, which there's a lot of this in my book, we can really kind of take a step back and say, hey, you know, like, yeah, that was a really painful experience, but why do I choose to relive it? You know, I need to actually really take a look at the thoughts that I'm thinking and, and choose the thoughts that that serve me. And I think that, you know, the more that we incorporate things like mindfulness, meditation, and really being aware of our thoughts, we'll have less and less suffering in our lives. I mean, there's no reason to relive something Besides maybe if there's something to learn from it, having a better relationship with our failures, but there's no reason to continue to deal with something in our minds that was painful because we tend to do this in the past. We tend to think of things in the past that didn't go quite right, or we tend to stress out about something in the future that hasn't even happened yet. And Mm -hmm. so it's so important that we're choosing thoughts that are of benefit to us so that in a situation like this, where if you have a painful experience, well, maybe there's something to learn from it, but there's certainly not something to gain from it by continually suffering. And people that, let's just say, your outlook in life is everything, right? I have a quote that says, the primary cause of unhappiness is never the situation, but thoughts about it. Be aware of the thoughts you're thinking. So someone could, two people that our friends could be in a situation and have something happen to them, but then it could affect them completely different based on the way they think about it. And then the thoughts they have about it moving forward, you know, if, if someone was in a, let's just say an accident, a car accident, uh, but they, one person was thankful that they got out of there alive and saw the positive on it. And the other person became like a traumatic experience of it. And then they continually kept coming back to it, then they're continually suffering. And that's almost like, gosh, like a disease of the mind that we're creating our own suffering so much of the time when we don't need to do that. I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that we're all going to experience pain, but we don't have to experience continual suffering. I think a term that a lot of people would probably understand conceptually is the term baggage, so somebody is carrying mm. baggage. Right, right. You don't have to carry that baggage. At end of the day, it's, it's your choice to carry it with you. Whether or not you carry on with it for the rest of your life is up to you. Baggage is heavy. You don't have to carry it. You can put it down. You could recognize that it was something 
it wasn't a pleasant experience. It was never really a good experience. And the fact that, yeah, there will be days when life will suck. Mm -hmm. But just because life sucks doesn't mean that determines the whole of your life. It doesn't have to determine the whole of your life. The key thing as well is that pain is a temporary situation where suffering is a constant if you allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. And it extends for as long as you want to keep that in your life. And I think it's a key thing that people seem to forget is that they, they want to carry that with them as almost like an identity. It's... It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have bad experiences in your life because bad experiences and difficult experiences sometimes give you the most valuable learning experiences that you'll ever have. Mm-hmm. And I've been through some horrible experiences that I wouldn't wish on anyone. Mm-hmm. But it's been the biggest, you could say, successful learning experience for me because I've gained the most out of that. It's, I've gained, as the saying goes, you gain the most from your failures. You don't mm-hmm. gain the most from what you do successfully. You gain the most from what you don't do successfully. Right. Because it, it pushes you to learn more, it pushes you to develop yourself more, to look for another way. And it's just a situation. Once you realize it's just a situation, it allows you to give you a bit of scope to you know, go a step further. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's... I really, I thought that was really fantastic insight. I, I really found it quite poignant because it was, it was one of those little hidden gems that, uh, that popped out to me, and I thought it was really well presented in the way that that it was done. No, thank you. Something else that you also mentioned in your book is the ability to observe without evaluating is the highest form of intelligence. What was mm. the what was the reason for that quote? How did you come out with that insight? Talk about quotes. I think that that quote in itself uh, is is extremely valuable. Um, the ability to observe without evaluating is the highest form of intelligence. I mean, we we tend to um, let's just say view someone or something going on and we can be quick to judge what we think the situation is uh, when in fact we're getting a glimpse of something like how much do we actually know about it right and so um, i think there's just so much value in being able to observe something but not judge, like just let it be. And, and the quote I, I thought was uh, particularly, uh, it's a very clever quote. Um, but, you know, this goes back to, you know, if you come across someone that they seem to be having a bad day or they're being a jerk um, or somebody's frustrated about something and then we have these like initial thoughts, it's like, you know, if we take a step back and realize they're human what was going on in their life? What was going on before this situation? Like maybe they're having a, a tough day at home and then I've just come across them in this. It just kind of helps us to understand that like to see things from another person's point of view or perspective and, and then also be able to respond and not just react to something that's happening. Seeing things from a perspective of more like um, loving kindness as opposed to just our initial reactions of what we think that we see, which is a very limited scope, right? I mean, when you Mm. see something happen and and we judge, how much do we actually know that was going on? 
I think that in general, we can just be more loving and accepting of ourselves and loving and accepting of other people when we're able to just like be an observer and not judge. And the same could be said with a thought that we have or an emotion that we have. It's like, you know, can we just observe that we had a thought or that we had an emotion without jumping on that that thought or emotion and judging right away? I think that just taking a step back and being able to do this without judgment is so, will just benefit us so much in life. It's a skill to be learned because it's mm, not the easiest of methods to actually learn because you're so keyed into your emotions and you mm-hmm. experience emotions at such a personal level that to have that ability or that metacognition to watch what you're thinking mm-hmm. to intercept it or to look at it from a different perspective or to pause on it is quite challenging and it comes back to meditation and mindfulness because right. you're being a lot more aware of what you're thinking how you're feeling and responding to it which gives you that ability to pattern interrupt because that's the main thing that a lot of this is talking about you're talking about pattern interrupts to allow right. you to change your way of thinking or your perception of something to give you that ability to be a better human being or to be more insightful or empathic. I think the key thing to realize with that, especially if you're dealing with other people, is to employ empathy. Mm. Because empathy allows you to look at it from a different perspective where it suspends a bit of the judgment and then gives you a bit of a pause to say, okay, what is it that they're dealing with? Mm. Now it gives you a bit of a break and you say, okay, I don't know what they're dealing with, but I wonder if I could ask and find out. Mm-hmm. And it gives you enough of a, you could say, break instead of reacting to something emotionally. Totally. It gives you the ability to react on a, on a much better and a more personal level. Mm-hmm. And also allows you a semblance of control. Because I think the big challenge is when you react to something very emotionally, you can lose control very quickly because emotions can fuel a lot of fire and a lot of, you could say preconceptions and cognitive biases which kick in and suddenly you just down, as you say, you're down a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, you've taken a step, you've taken a reaction, you've said something, you've done something which you should never have done. And that's a very you know, challenging situation to be in because now you've got to deal with something that's you'll say, a lot more difficult than what it should have been. Exactly. And then, you know, you become the passenger instead of, being able to say that you're in control. Yeah, it does give us a bit of a break in being able to respond instead of react and, and not just cling to our emotions. To be able to, to just observe without judgment, it is something that takes a lot of practice, it's true, but I think that we're able to just be more accepting and, and empathetic to others when we do it. I've found that for myself, I mean, sometimes your mind wants to just jump to a judgment and you don't like, you didn't even get in there to say, hey, don't do that. You know, like, just like <laughs> we can just judge right away, even though we don't mean to. If a group of people or someone walks by and perhaps in the way they're, they're acting or the way they look and the way they're dressed or something, 
And so like this quote, actually, it's uh, interesting that you're bringing it up because it's, this quote has come up uh, recently just in the last week or two in a place I had visited. And I actually was having a conversation with somebody about this quote saying, instead of judging, I have actually remembered this quote to almost like stop me from judging and saying, hey, you don't need to do that. Again, the ability to observe without evaluating is the highest form of intelligence. So I've I've literally had to stop myself and just said that quote to myself a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. And I've been like, yeah, that's good. Like, you know, you're you're getting this higher form of intelligence and no need to judge. Let things be as they are. Let people be as they are. It doesn't mean anything to me to each their own, so to speak. So, yeah, I appreciate you bringing up that quote. I think it's one of the things I also had to go through a bit of a learning curve with regards to that, because the big challenge for me when I went down through this whole path of actually trying to figure out how I thought and how I processed information was to understand why I was thinking the way that I did. Why did I make these choices? Why did I have these perceptions and judgments and everything else? And what was the reason for these things? How do they tie into my beliefs? A lot of the choices and decisions and approaches that you make are tied to upbringing, previous experiences, cultural beliefs, personal experiences or beliefs that you've got. And by employing something like that, you're almost changing your personal identity and your belief mm. system. Because now what you're doing is you're challenging your own belief system and your way of thinking which allows you to then say, okay, fine, if this is not really the best way forward, then what is the best way forward? Mm -hmm. And it allows you that ability to be willing to change. The challenge is whether somebody is willing to go down that step because getting back to personal development, unless you actually have a reason for going down that path of personal development, actually finding the reason why you want to do that and getting a value out of it, then it's not going to be approaches that you're going to want to take. But conversely, it's an incredibly rewarding experience when you start doing it because it allows you to cope with life in a much better way. And it allows you to have a lot more empathy and you can say insight into how other people deal with it. And sometimes you just realize sometimes people are just having a bad day and you've just got to, you've just got to accept it. Mm-hmm. And it's been an interesting journey. And I really appreciated reading your book because I think, as I've said before, you have quite a few subtle messages in the book. Even though it's an easy read, there's a lot of value to it. And I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I look forward to reading it again because I think uh, there's a a lot more to it. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I find that some reading books again, or a lot of times I do audio, and this is actually available in audio. It's available as an ebook, as a paperback, as well as I actually narrated it and it's on audible.com. But I find that, and I'm, I'm thinking of one in particular book, uh, Think and Grow Rich. I've listened to this book like multiple times and I'll still like listen to it or read it. And I'm like, was that in there before? Because I don't remember <laughs> hearing that or reading that. So I think there's, yeah, there's obvious, there's definitely a lot of value in going back over something and reading it again. And, and, you know, that's in part why, why I put those questions at the end of every chapter. Right. I had a thoroughly good time speaking with you. I look forward to seeing how things are developing further. So the question is, 
How can people, one, get in contact with you? We know that your book is on Amazon and all of the formats and what's mm-hmm. Audible, Kindle, because I've got it on Kindle and I'm actually taking notes and actually kind of summarizing things for my own personal use. Awesome. And I appreciate you saying your kind words. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really glad that you've enjoyed it and got something out of it. The the best way to get in touch with me, and like you said, the book is available on Amazon. The easiest probably to find it, though, is if you just go to the name of the book, wisdombeyondtheclassroom.com. You can actually go and, and it clicks through on my website to Amazon. Um, but also you can go in there to the website, wisdombeyondtheclassroom.com, and there's a contact button questions, comments, if you want to have a conversation with me, I'm super open to it. And then the the email address also, though, is support, S-U-P-P-O-R-T, support at wisdombeyondtheclassroom.com. And like I said, I certainly welcome conversation with you. Absolutely. I'll share all of that in the show notes or the, you know, that will be pushed out to everyone to catch up on. Definitely something to look forward to. What's What's next in your plan now that the book is out i know you've got a young baby to uh, bring up and try and impart the lessons of life to uh-huh. and do you have another book in mind do you have any other projects in mind yeah that's a great question so i get people they're like oh man that's amazing you wrote a book i appreciate that it was a couple of years in the making but now this is like part b it's like okay great you wrote a book now you actually have to figure out how to get it out to the world right so I'm kind of doing my part and learning about marketing and getting it out there and, and doing podcasts and getting in touch with different groups, such as, you know, whether it's a, a group on homeschooling or parent-teacher organization, uh, getting it in front of people that will be able to share it with, you know, their students or share it with their kids. So really, it's about doing my best that I can to get the book out to the world. So that's kind of what I'm involved in right now with the book. That's good. It's always admirable to try and get something out like that because it's, I think a, there's a lot of work in writing a book. Uh, I've been through that experience, but it's also even more work to try and get it out so that people can you know, you know, hear the message and actually read it and, and take part of it. Yeah, so, absolutely. Do you have any social media groups? Do you have any Facebook group or anything of that nature for people to interact with? Or are you just oh, keeping yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I believe I am the only Ryan Lockie, and my last name is spelled L-O-C-K-E-E. I'm the only Ryan Lockie in the entire world uh, without <laughs> going into that story uh, well, I won't go into it, but uh, essentially my, my grandfather was uh, Native American and there's just not that many Lockies in the whole world. So you can find me on, I believe it's like facebook.com slash uh, ryan.lockie. Same with Instagram, instagram.com slash ryan.lockie. So find me there, uh, hit me up. Uh, I'd certainly uh, love to hear from you. Excellent. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for coming on the interview and it was a pleasure speaking with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. When you support and review a podcast like this from someone like Lance, it gains more visibility and motivates him to produce more. What topics most interest you? The best topic gains a shout out on the podcast.